morning I'm going to be preaching to specific audience. I, I usually don't do this in my preaching. I usually try to try to, try to cover everybody, or at least try to. You know, you don't always get everybody. Try to. But this morning I have a very specific kind of audience in mind. I'm preaching to people who have messed up. I'm preaching to people who have regrets. People who are the, what I'll call the, I don't know what to do next kind of people. People who are lost, who do not have the answers for what they need. I say that because if you are in this audience this morning, either listening on the live stream or you're seated in this congregation, and you think, whether you would say it this way or not, but if there's any measure of, you know what, I'm doing all right. I got it all together. The only thing that's on my mind is what I'm going to eat at lunch. That's all I care about right now. That's all that's on your mind. I love you, appreciate you, and I'm going to do what I can for you. But this is not a message for you. Jesus said it, I think, the best in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, they that are whole, those that are right all together, have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. Now, of course, if you have your stuff together, you do need what I'm going to say, but you just won't get it. You won't understand it. It won't make it mean anything to you, even though you need it. So I say all that to say, this is for those who've never had it together. Some of you are hitching, you're listening to me, and you have lost something valuable. It might be financial, it might be a business, it might be um, a relationship, it might be your own dignity. It might be opportunities, but you've lost something valuable at some point in your life, and you want that back so bad you can taste it. And some of you are in a situation and you're over your head. You can't, you can't figure out what to do. You, you, you want it out of it, but you just can't. Some of you feel like you're in the dark, you're aimless, you're frustrated, you feel like you're a disappointment. Those are the people I'm talking to this morning. If you can identify with some form of that, I want you to know I'm talking to you. Because I believe, first of all, that the Bible teaches very plainly that what you're feeling is called the human condition. It's just the way things are. It's normal. I know everybody wants to tell you, especially in a church, we want to tell you that when you feel like that, oh, you ought not feel that way. Christians don't feel like that. Or good people don't feel like that. If you do feel like that, there's something wrong with you. I want to tell you, you're normal if you feel like that. But I also want to tell you that the Bible, I believe, also teaches something that says that we can be restored. That we can be corrected. That we can be fixed. That we can return to the way it ought to be. Now, please understand, I believe that is the human condition, that we have that feeling that there's something we've lost that we want to get back, that we're missing something. But just because that's the way it is doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to be. That's just the way the world is. Are you with me on that? Because I need you to understand that's how the world is, but there is a prop, an opportunity the Bible gives us to get it where it should be, not where it is. And I want to show you that in this passage in Isaiah chapter 49. To introduce you to the passage in Isaiah 49, to get you caught up to where we are, so you might as well drop in the middle of a book like this, and you're like, where are we at? And maybe you're not thinking that because you're not paying attention. But if you're paying attention, you're like, where are we at? What's going on? Let me try to tell you what's going on. I'm going to start at the beginning. Did you know that our God created a world? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. 
And when He created that world, He created it perfect in every way. After each day of creation, He said, He made the stars, He made the oceans, He made the, the land creatures, and He said, It is good. At the end of every day, it is good. So He made this perfect world, this perfect creation, and the crown jewel of His creation was humanity. A man and a woman, Adam and Eve, who would have, of course, offspring, by the way, we all come from. We're all from Adam and Eve. I don't care what you look like, what your last name is, doesn't matter. You're all from Adam and Eve. That's where we come from. The crown jewel is Adam and Eve. And at the end of that, in Genesis chapter 1, that account, every day he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then he makes man and woman, he gives them their, 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 their mandate of what they're supposed to do in this world. And if you go to Genesis chapter 1, in verse 31, he says, it is very good. And the Bible makes that emphasis of very good. It's a very, there's an emphasis there that it was good before, but now it is perfect. It's exactly what he intended it to be. If you go a couple chapters over to Genesis chapter 3, they messed it up. Messed it up big time. God told them what to do, and they didn't do it. And as a result of what Adam and Eve did in that, did in that first sin on this earth, it threw the whole human race into sin. So much so that Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 that as a one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You and I are sitting seated here in this human condition that I was talking about with all this regret and this shame and these burdens and this hope that we would, would like to see this thing fixed and change. We're sitting here because Adam and Eve sinned and everybody since then has sinned every time they get a chance. But then God did something interesting in Genesis chapter 12. He, he found a man named Abraham. Y'all know Abraham. He found a man named Abraham, and he picked him out, and he says, I'm going to make of you a nation of people. I've chosen you out specifically, and I've chosen you and your offspring to make a nation. He says to, to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Because in chapter 12 and verse 3, he says, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He's saying to Abraham, he says, listen, I had a perfect plan. It got messed up because of sin. But I'm going to use your family and the nation that comes from that to bless the whole world. Everybody's going to get made right, be restored to their rightful place because of what your family is going to do. That's what he told Abraham. But this nation, y'all know it as the nation of Israel, by the way. That's what it was called in the Bible. They know it as the nation of Israel. This nation, which was the servant of God, that's how Isaiah refers to the nation of Israel in several places. The servant of God, they too disappoint God. In Isaiah chapter 42, we won't turn there, but just prior to this chapter we're about to look at, they had failed to do what God had told them and chosen them and selected them to do. They were not what God wanted them to be. In fact, in Isaiah 42, verses 17 through 25, you see them worshiping false idols, false gods. They make them out of wood and stone. That's what they are calling their God. They are spiritually blind to their sin. They can't even see what they're doing is wrong. They're spiritually deaf. They've got prophets coming at them every which way, and they don't hear what they're saying. They don't, they're not convicted by it. So then God gives a prophecy to a man named Isaiah. The first half up to about verse chapter 40 or so is basically saying, y'all are a mess. Y'all got problems. You need to get right. That's what God's saying to him. But what God does 
beginning in chapter 42 forward, is he offers some help and some hope, which is picked up in our Isaiah chapter 49, our text, that says in verse 1, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, you people, from far. He's saying, everybody in the world, pay attention, listen, listen, listen. What's been broken up to this point, it's about to be fixed. Y'all listen now. Everybody, by the way, it says the isles, everybody is all over the world. He's saying the farthest corner of the world, not just the people in Israel, but everybody. He says, I want you to listen here. He says here in verse, verse 1, the Lord has called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother has he made mention of my name. If somebody talking here, we talked to him about, called him, and last Sunday we called him the suffering servant. That's who's talking here. He's the one that's, that's speaking. And he is saying, listen, I have been called by God himself. I am predestined to, pers- uh, to, to succeed. I am now here. Everybody needs to pay attention. The whole world needs to listen because I'm here. Verse 2. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. He says, listen, what I'm about to say is perfect and it is pointed. It will accomplish what it is set out to accomplish. In the shadow of his hand, God's hand, hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, hath he hid me. What he's saying there is that God has made me like an arrow and he has put me in his quiver in the place where he stores his arrow. And he says, I am, in essence, I'm that secret weapon that God has got prepared. He's got it prepared. He's got it tested. He's not bringing it out until, as Paul says in Galatians, until the fullness of time has come. There's going to come a time when he comes out that he is perfect. It is poised to do exactly what God is wanting to do. Verse 3, the servant says, Thou art, that God said unto the servant, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. He says, I am going to be perfectly pleasing to the Father. I'm going to meet what this, what you, Israel, have not been able to do. I am going to do. I am going to please the Father. I want you to see that he's, he's pleasing to the Father. He's bringing glory to the Father. He will satisfy what the Father wants. Then in verse 4, he says, I have labored in vain. I spent my strength for naught and in vain. He says what Jesus says in the gospel several times as he's talking to the disciples, as he's talking to the Israelite nation. He says to them, he says, listen, guys, I feel like I'm wasting my time with you. He says, you're not listening. You're not paying attention. I'm, I'm God. I'm here. I'm here to save you. You're not listening. What's wrong with you? That's what he's saying in this verse, in verse 4. But look at what happens in verse 4. Even though they reject him, even though they are despising of him, even though his own does not receive him, he says in verse 4, he says, Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, my work is with my God. He says it's going to come about what needs to come about. Doesn't matter if y'all accept me or not. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And he accomplishes God's purpose. Now look what he says in verse 5. Of course, this is God now talking to, uh, to the servant. He says, And now saith the Lord that formed me, talking about the servant, in from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. My God shall be my strength. And he says in verse 6, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob. First of all, I want you to notice this, that he is powerful to save everybody that needs to be saved. He is powerful to save to the uttermost. 
This is the point here. Not only is he going to accomplish God's purpose, but God's purpose is to save. And first of all, he's saving Israel. Y'all see that in the passage? I hope y'all saw that, but I'm going to call it out to saving Israel. Jacob, talks about Jacob, that's Israel. Remember how Israel got off track? They aren't doing what they're supposed to do? He's saving them. That's what he's doing. But I love what he says here in verse 6. It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. He says, you don't save Israel. Your servant is going to save Israel. But that's too easy. I can do that with one eye, with both eyes uh, blindfolded and one arm hiding behind my back. I, that's not that's not a thing. I can save Israel. But look what he's going to do. He says that's a light thing. That's easy. That's not a problem. And to restore and preserve Israel, he says, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. He says, I'm going to save my people, the people I. I call it out so they can be a light to the world, so they can show the world what how good of a God I am. I'm going to save them, but that's too easy. I'm going to go ahead and save the whole world. I'm going to go ahead and offer my son as a sacrifice to the whole for the sins of the whole world. I'm going to go ahead and do that and do that so that Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant that's in view here, he's coming so that he can bring hope and truth and life to everybody, no matter what their national origin happens to be, no matter what their skin color happens to be, no matter what kind of upbringing they've had, I'm going to make sure that everybody has access to this. I'm going to do the one thing that I called Israel to do that they couldn't do. I'm going to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, I'll bring that in to emphasize to you, because I want to say this to you real quick. The suffering servant does what we did not do. Some of y'all have failed. It might be because of your laziness. It might be because there's sin that you won't address in your life. It might be because somebody else has sinned against you. It might even be because of the circumstances of life. Remember I told you about that human condition? I've had a couple of instances in my life where it feels like circumstances conspire against me. I have tried my best to do everything, and it just seems like one thing after another after another, and peace at the end of it. I say, well, look at you, messed up again. That's the way I feel. But wherever and wherever it is that you have failed, you have not done and accomplished God's purpose for your life. And let me go ahead and tell you, some of y'all have not done or accomplished God's purpose for your life. You may or may not know that. I told you I'm talking to people who know that. So those of you that don't know it, I'm sorry I can't help you. But at least some of y'all know I ain't doing what God has called me to do in my life. I want you to know that there is one who has come to restore you to that purpose. That's what he has done. He is going to do for you and through you things you could never in a million years ever do. In fact, every chance you've gotten to do them, you have dropped the ball again and again and again and again. That's exactly what Israel has done. God had literally selected out out of all the people of the earth. He said, these are my people. And what did Israel do? The, the Old Testament is like story after story after story. And not doing, not doing, not doing what God wanted them to do. But what does the servant do? He comes in and he restores them. And he does for them 
and through them things they could never have done on their own. They could have never accomplished in their own power. And I want to tell you, I want to proclaim to you right now, I'm preaching, I am proclaiming to you loud and clear as I know how to do it. If you're a failure this week, this morning, in any aspect of your life, Jesus has come to restore you. He has come to do for you and through you what you did not do and what you have failed to do. But I want you to also see that the suffering servant does more than just return or rather do what we have not able to, been able to do. He also returns to us what we have lost. Because Israel's sin didn't just get them off course. It really did. It just made so they couldn't do what God had made them to do. That's what God had accomplished made them to do. And they couldn't do it. So it got them off course. They weren't able to fulfill their purpose that God had given them. But it cost them so much more. You have to understand that God Israel, they had lost the glory that had been promised to them. They are, after all, the chosen people of God. It's kind of a special category. There's only one chosen nation. In the Old Testament, you go back, there's only one. There's no other nation. The, 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 the Egyptians weren't chosen. Uh, the, none of the Canaanite uh, tribes, none of those. It's one nation. That's special. And, and there's glory that's associated with that, but they, they lost that glory. At this point, the, 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 the kingdoms of Israel are declining. They're going downhill. By the time these prophecies come about, there will be no such thing as a throne in Jerusalem. Not physically anyway. We understand it's a spiritual throne. But there would not be a physical throne in Jerusalem. And by the time the Gospels come around, when the suffering servant shows up on the scene, they're actually sub- subjugated by the Roman Empire. There's no glory in Israel if they lost it. If they had lost that special relationship with God, God who had selected them out and chosen them and actually given them laws and given them a country and given them borders and given them all these things, He's now upset with them. He's judging them. There's no special relationship anymore. It doesn't feel like it anyway. And they lost their inheritance. And by the time that a lot of these prophecies are fulfilled, the people won't ever, they will no longer even be living in the land that God had given them. Y'all remember this story? They were in Egypt as slaves, four years in the desert, and God gives them what we call the promised land. They carve it out. Every family gets a, gets a special lot of land that can never go away from their family. It was their family for an eternity. In their family for eternity. They would never lose it. But what happens? In a, few, in a few hundred years, they're marching off to a foreign nation to never return, many of them to never return. Yes, they ultimately, as a nation, go back, but it's never like it was before. They've lost their inheritance. They've lost their liberty. They can't do what they wanted to do. They don't even run, run their own destiny. There's a foreign government telling them how to operate. Oh, my goodness, they don't have any of that. And on top of all of that, that's not bad enough. Here, you go back to your Bible, and you would flip through just randomly any book in this Bible, it is a, more often than not, there's a rare exception to this, it is a Jewish man or woman who is giving us this word. God uses His special people to give light, give understanding to the rest of the world. Yet here they are, and they don't even understand and see the truth themselves. That feels like a lot to lose. That's what their sin has done. But I want you to see here in verse 7, he says, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to him, to him whom he men despiseth, to him whom the rulers abhorreth, 
to a servant of rulers, kings shall rise, see, and rise. Princes shall also worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and He shall choose thee. This servant is going to return and restore the glory back to Israel. Even though they reject Him and they despise Him, He takes all of that glory and He shares a little bit with Israel, and they're going to give it right back to Him because He is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. They had that special relationship, but look at what He says in verse 8. That saith the Lord, in acceptable time have I heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve them. Here's the phrase I want you to focus on. And give thee, this is God speaking to the servant, He says, I'm going to give you the servant for a covenant of the people. A covenant. God had a special relationship with Israel, Israel as a nation because they had a sort of a covenant there. There was an agreement, there was a, a, a commitment. And what the servant is doing is he is coming in and he is proving or giving himself as a renewal of that covenant. The friend tell you this, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Y'all know this if you learned anything in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you know this. I know it in the King James. God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, I know y'all are far from me. I know you've broken my agreement. I know you are an unfaithful spouse. I know you were disobedient children. I know you were nothing that is deserving of my love and my appreciation and my attention. Yet what I'm going to do in the moment that you are as far from me as possible, I'm going to commend, I'm going to give, I'm going to present, I'm going to set as a special offering to you to say, I still love you so much that even though you're so far from me, I'm going to renew that covenant and Jesus is the blood shed. Jesus is the lamb killed. Jesus is the offering provided. He is the sacrifice needed. He is, to use the big Bible word I like, propitiation for that sin. He is offered for that. And what he's doing, yes, he's dying for my sin, but don't miss it. Underneath that, or rather over top of all that, is actually God's love for us and for Israel to say, I've got a special relationship with you, and y'all messed it up, but I'm bringing it back. I'm restoring that relationship by putting my son, Jesus, on the cross. And what Jesus does in restoring, he doesn't just say, y'all lost this, here you go. No, he says, I'm what's missing, and I'm going to sacrifice myself so that I can establish this relationship with you. Not just for one time, not just so we say hey to each other, but so that there can be time and eternity so we can love one another forever and ever and ever. That's what he does. He gives us that renewed promise of God's love to us. He gives that, he restores that to us. So he gives, it says there, look at the phrasing, he says, I'm going to give thee, the servant, for a covenant. It's not just I'm going to make another covenant. The servant is the covenant. He is the one that is the covenant, is the promise, is that establishment of that. And he goes on to say that to establish the earth or the land and to, establish, to cause to inherit, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. He says, I'm coming back not only to have that relationship with you, but I'm going to give you the stuff you lost. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you that inheritance that you lost because of your sin. I'm going to give it right back to you. I'm going to make sure you have it. All that stuff, those desolate heritages. 
those things you desecrated, those things you lost, I want you to know that you've got it back. He goes on in verse 9 to say that I may say to the prisoner, go forth. He says, I'm going to go to y'all when you're in jail, and I'm going to say, y'all can get out of here now. And he goes on to say there that men that are in darkness, kill yourself. I know you can't see, but I'm going to give you, give you life. I'm going to give you life when you can. All of that is to simply say that no matter what caused you to lose, what you've lost. Jesus has come to restore every bit of it. Jesus has come to restore your dignity as an image bearer of God. Let me just park here for just a moment. Some of y'all, some of this world, a lot of people in this world, think that they are their sin, their sexuality, their addiction, the abuse that's happened to them, the crimes that have been committed against them, or that they have committed. Some people say that they are, or think of themselves, I am not whatever happened to me in my past. But I want you to know that what Jesus has done by dying for you on the cross, renewing that relationship that you have with Him, giving you an inheritance that is out of this world, He is restoring in you, every one of you, the dignity that He created in every human being. We don't need, you do not need alcohol to numb your senses because you're so ashamed of what you've done or depressed about where you've been. You don't need pills to do that. You don't need cutting in your body, risky sexual behavior. You don't need those things to, to sort of say, well, I'm not worth anything, so why does it matter? You don't need that. You don't need those things. You don't need to numb yourself. You don't need to degrade yourself. You do not need to damage yourself further. I need you all to hear me loud and clear that Jesus has come to restore to you what has been lost. I know we've lost a lot. There's not a person here that hasn't lost something of a lot of value, and it might be very personal value. You've lost it, but Jesus came to restore that to you so you can have human dignity as an image bearer of God. That's who you are. You are a creation of God. And I want the young people, those that are seated here with me right now, I want you all to hear that. You are not what this culture tells you you are. You're not what the, the writers and the magazines and the video people tell you you are. You are what God made you, and that is something special. That is something amazing. That is something awesome. That is something, as I tried to give you at the beginning, the crown jewel of God's creation. That's what you are. And you say, I don't feel like that right now. I just want you to know that's why Jesus came, to restore you to that, to make you what you're supposed to be. Because you now have a relationship with Him as your God, as your friend, as your Savior. And you have that inheritance as a child of God now. Paying attention to the time, I need to rush along here, but I need to make these last points if y'all don't mind listening to just another moment. Because the suffering servant also provides to us not only what we've lost, but he also just gives us what we need. I love this about Jesus. He gives us mercy. You all know what mercy is, where we don't get what we deserve. But he does this other thing that's amazing. He gives me grace. He gives me so much more than I ever thought about deserving, much less actually deserve. He, 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 he gives me what I need 
but he provides bounty while he does it. Uh, just keep reading here. I just want you to see this in the, in the verse. We pick it up in verse 9, the last part of verse 9, where he says, They, talking about the people that God is going to restore, they shall feed in the way, and their pastures shall be in all high places. He's saying, first of all, yes, I'm going to feed them. I'll make sure they have food. Later on, he says in verse 10, he says, They're not going to hunger or thirst. So I'm going to take care of them. They're going to have the bellies full. They're not going to be thirsty. But he says there in verse, 10, in verse 9, he says, Their pastures shall be in all high places. He says, Not only are you going to eat, but this food, it's going to be right there. It's going to, it's going to be readily accessible to you. It's like the children of Israel in the desert. They had that manna. You know where that manna was? You could literally just stick your hand out your front door right there. That's how that manna was. That's what Jesus is going to do here. He says, I'm going to not only provide for them, but I'm going to provide them the good stuff. And it's going to be right there with us. You got a hold of it. It's going to be available to him. He also says in verse 10, Neither shall the heat nor sun smite them, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. Come on, protect you from the exposure, from the elements. I'm going to make sure that you're not, you're not hurt by these things. But he says, I'm going to also give you direction, day by day, step by step direction. And when I lead you, not only am I going to give you the right path so you end up in the best destination, but I'm going to take you through the right areas. So there's good water there. So you get a good, you get a, you have a good trip. There's, there's two ways you can go on a, if you're going to go on a destination on a road trip. There's two ways you can go. There is the direct route, and then there's the fun route. Now the fun route might mean stopping by your favorite restaurant on the way. It might mean going to visit some favorite people along the way. It might mean a shopping trip for some of y'all. Whatever it is that you like to do, you're going to go that way for you to go do it. Y'all understand the kind of trip I'm talking about. But then there's the other trip where you can just say, listen, whoop, we're going to be there. And that might be some of y'all like to do that. But the point is that there's that little side trip you're going to take so you go by where you want to go and see the stuff you want to see. That's what he says I'm going to do. I'm going to get you where you need to go, he says. I'm going to give you direction. But I'm going to make sure you have the springs of water. By the springs of water, I'm going to give you that good, good side trip that you need there. And then he says, and I will make, verse 11, I will make my mountains away and my highways shall be exalted. I'm going to take away every obstacle. So those mountains that are so tall, I'm going to lower them so you can get across them and put a highway. And he says, he says that, that those, uh, that he goes there and says in verse 11, he says those highways will be exalted. He says those, those low spots where you kind of have to go down the valley, I'm going to lift those up. He says, I'm going to make sure that you can go any which way you need to go. It's going to get there where there might not have been a way before. I'm going to make a way. That's what he's doing. Y'all understand what he's doing here? This is all about restoration, and now he's not even talking about restoring you. He's talking about giving you stuff you didn't even think about before. That's what he's doing. He's giving you stuff you didn't even have before. He says, I'm going to meet your basic needs. You're going to have food. You're going to have water. You're going to have protection. But I'm also going to make sure you have bounty along the way. Is this how God works? Because he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask for. You can't even imagine how good God is. You can't even imagine. So no matter what we've lost, Jesus came to restore you and give you so much more. I'm going to close. With verse 13, I want you to listen to what he says in verse 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth in the singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. So what do you do with all this? Jesus restores you. We believe that. Amen. Yeah, we get it. What are you going to do with it? 
my exhortation to you, church, this morning is this. Don't you get happy about God's restoration? Just rejoice. It's time for y'all to get happy about it. I personally am tired myself. I'm not even talking about y'all. I'm talking about Matthew Phillips. I am personally tired of despair. I'm tired of being so sour and dour all the time. When I have Jesus restoring for me. Now, on the one hand, there's no reason to be sour and dour, Christians, but there's also no reason to be proud of all your accomplishments. You understand that too, right? Who restores you? You? No. Not me. Not you. Who restores you? So we don't need to do either of those things, but what we need to do, because He does restore, because He does provide that, it's time for us to have every reason in the world to rejoice in what Jesus has done. Because Jesus restored you, you have human, you have dignity as a human, you have access to the throne of God, you have heaven as an eternal home, you have freedom because of the same same in bondage, you are now free from that. That you have the Holy Spirit within you, literally guiding you through your life. You have everything you need, as Peter said, according to his divine power, has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue whereby are also given us exceeding great and precious promises. We've got more than we can, we've got more than we can handle. And if we're not rejoicing about it, it's because we're not paying attention to it. Jesus has given you so much comfort, he says there, look what he says in verse 13, he's comforted his people and he has mercy on his afflicted. Wednesday night we said, I know this is my last thing. Wednesday night we um, preached on this passage. I just wrote it down here in Matthew 11. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. God restores. First, have you been restored by Jesus? If you haven't, come to Jesus and He'll restore you. And so imagine I'm saved, I'm a Christian, but man, I sure am carrying around a lot of load, a lot of heavy load. Jesus restores you too. He's not done with you. Come to Jesus. He'll give you rest. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you an invitation to come and respond to the preaching of God's Word. Father, thank you for the restoration we have in Jesus. Pray that you will speak to the hearts that are here. Show them their need of rejoicing in what you've done. There's going to be some that, when, when they think about this, and when your spirit, your spirit talks to them, Lord, I think some of them are going to, they're going to remember what all you've done for them. And I pray that some of them will come and flood this offer, offer and just thank you for how good you've been. There are going to be others that are sitting there and saying, God, what are you talking about? I want, but I just don't know how to get it. I'm so burdened with these things. I'm still, I'm still, no, don't feel like I am what I'm supposed to be. I feel like a failure. Lord, please help them to have heard something that was said to remind them that Jesus is what is going to restore them. Please help them, God. Please help them. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.